So we are continuing our summer of Psalms. And I know we kind of have done an overview and a little bit of praise and a little bit of getting into some disorientation. I know Rachel talked about the first week that there's kind of three classic uh, headings that you could put on these. Uh, prayers of orientation. That's when we are, we are right with God. We are praising God and everything is right in our world. And the, the words come easy. Daryl covered that. Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being, praise his name. Okay, those are the good days, right? And then Rachel, last week, Rachel covered uh, orientation, a little bit of disorientation, a little bit of help when I need some help. Things, you know, I still love you, God. You are awesome, God. We can still recognize that, God, but something's not quite right. I need your help. Prayers of help, deliverance, prayers of trust. And confidence. Things might not be going the way I want them to go right now, but I trust you, God. Right? Those are good. Rachel also mentioned last week, uh, Anne Lamont had three basic prayers. Help. We tend to go to God when we need help. We go to God to give thanks. We go to God to say, wow, how awesome are you God? I myself want to add some. What? <laughs> what? Or maybe, come on! Seriously? Am I the only one that has felt all of those? Perhaps in one day? I am? Thanks, Vance. Appreciate it. So if we've covered one thing in this series, it's that the Psalms show us whole lot of human emotion, a whole lot of humanness, which is comforting for those of us that have had angry times, times when we've been angry at ourselves, angry at our situation, angry with the world, angry with God. Yeah, that's okay. It's all okay. They teach us and they model for us how to take, we've heard this, we bring our whole selves to God, right? Well, that includes the ugly. It includes the absolute human emotions that we like to sometimes deny, sometimes forget, the things that are kind of uncomfortable. Well, today we are going to go full into disorientation. We are not, we're not even at the, the orientation part. There might be a little bit of God's cool, but there's a lot of Okay, she told me I was doing cursing psalms. It's not that kind of cursing, but it kind of is that kind of cursing, okay? Imprecatory psalms, it's a big, it's a big word. It just means cursing. It just means I want something bad to happen to make me feel better because something bad is happening to me, and I don't like it. So if you've been on that side of feelings, welcome. We're going to have a good day today. So, some of today's scripture, I can tell you, I'm just going to warn you, and seeing these little bodies and faces, I'm not saying any bad words, all the tough words come from scripture, but the imagery is hard, and it's tough, and I picked them on purpose. These are the psalms that people don't know what to do with. These are the psalms that 
if this was a church that followed lectionary preaching, which is a three-year planned out, these are the scriptures you're going to talk about every Sunday, if we were a church that followed lectionary preaching, we wouldn't preach these psalms. You wouldn't hear them. And if you did, they'd be censored. We would take out those uncomfortable parts and just pretend they weren't there because people don't know what to do with some of the words that we're about to hear and read. But I have some ideas that could help. So we're going to go for it. Starting with Psalm 58. You can read along or you can just listen. This is not one of those, let it wash over you. No, this is not that Psalm. None of these are. But they are Psalms that you might connect with, that you might resonate with, and that need to be talked about. So we've got, all right, Psalm 58. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you gods? Now, that's not God. That's other gods. Do you judge fairly, you sons of mankind? No. In heart, you practice injustice. On earth, you clear away for the violence of your hands. The wicked have turned away from the womb. These who speak lies go astray from birth. They have venom, like the venom of a serpent, like a deaf cobra that stops up its ear so that it doesn't hear the voice of charmers or skillful, skillful caster of spells. All right, here we go. God, shatter their teeth in their mouth. Break out the fangs of the young lions, Lord. May they flow away like water that runs off. When he aims his arrows, may they be his headless shafts. May they be like a snail which goes along in the slime. Like the miscarriage that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the fire of thorns, sweep them away with the whirlwind, the green and burning alike. The righteous will rejoice when he sees vengeance. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. And people will say there is certainly a reward for the righteous there certainly is a God who judges on the earth. The word of the Lord, for, no, it's not the word of the Lord. These are human prayers, okay? These are human prayers. That's a really human prayer, right? He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Those are not easy things to think about. What I encourage you, hear that, hear the pain, hear the humanness, but did you hear any hope? Is hope one of those feelings that popped up as, oh, that sounds, that sounds hopeful? No? So what do we do with them? What do we do with those calls for punishment, with this human understanding of the God of vengeance? Right? That psalm is... is titled, A Prayer for the Punishment of the Wicked. And then it says, and I'd like to see what Daryl could do with it, it says, for the music director, <laughs> set to, and I'm guessing it's a tune or an instrument. We, we didn't sing that this morning, but maybe next week, maybe next week. So what do we do when we have this vision of God. We all come from the Christian tradition and we have the God of vengeance where we pray to shatter the teeth out of the enemy's mouth. And our Father 
in heaven who graciously forgives. What do we do with those? It's not, it's not super easy, but lack of grace is not the problem. Ancient Israel understood grace. Um, some of you might know I just completed my first year of seminary courses to get my Master's of Divinity, and I chose to take... Um, I chose two classes this past year. One was a, a New Testament class. I did an intro to New Testament class, and the professor I chose, uh, she's a conservative Jewish woman, and I chose her to be my professor for a specific reason, because those scriptures were Jewish scriptures before they were Christian. So she has a very specific understanding of not only the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, but of the New Testament. Okay. So she explained it. Ancient Israel knew grace. They understood that. I'm going to just get, let that, sorry guys, let that go too long. Ancient Israel understood the concept of grace. They might not have talked about it as much as we hear in the New Testament, but they understood it. Torah, the, the gift of Torah was grace. This is an eternal covenant between a chosen people and God. This is full of grace. The, the idea, um, Israel, the people of Israel, they were not chosen because they were holy. They are holy because they are chosen. They are as human as can be, faults and all. And the fact that God chose them and gave them this gift of these laws to follow, these, this covenant, these things. They didn't look at them as, oh man, we have to do this or God's going to punish us. It was, we get to do this because this is how we are holy. This is how we live up to the holiness that God is bestowing on us. So grace, it's not like we can say, oh, they just didn't know grace. They didn't know Jesus. We're good now, right? That's not where we are. What they understood, these laws, these first five books of what we have in our Old Testament, the law of Moses, the Torah, this was something that I think Rachel covered in the beginning. If you follow it, if you do it, order is there, the wicked will be punished, and the righteous will flourish, right? But too often in life, the righteous suffer. Stuff happens. The wicked, they're not perishing, they're flourishing, but wait, they're wicked. They're supposed to flourish. So like, what? Like, order is, something is wrong. The order is out of whack, right? I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm suffering. These people are not doing what they're supposed to do, and they're not suffering. So come on, God, commence with the perishing. Get on with it. Do something right? So God's vengeance in these scriptures is seen as, as a connection to God's position as, as king, his kingship, his, his royal judgment, okay? That's a theme that we're all kind of familiar with. God is seen as king, okay? So if that royal action of vengeance is directed at the wicked enemies, those people who are violating God's justice, uh, God's honor or God's people, the ones speaking the prayers, 
These are not the mighty ones that are wicked and, and ruling and wanting their subjects to obey them. This is, these are people who are suffering, and they are calling out to God. So these prayers that we read, like they knew Yahweh was to help orphans, widows, the stranger, the other, the, the underdog, right? Yahweh was on their side of the oppressed. So they are calling out to God do what God said God was going to do, okay? Wake up and do something. These prayers of vengeance are, are a sign of ultimate hope of the oppressed who can no longer expect justice from earthly judges. They're being, they're being taken from, they're being trampled, they're being overrun and conquered and exiled and all kinds of things are happening to them. And if God does not avenge them, then there's no justice left anywhere on earth. So they have to hold on to this hope that divine vengeance shows us that the psalmist, the people in ancient Israel, held on to a glimpse of hope and a window into the future for those oppressed people. That the God that God is not going to forget us. God is not going to leave evil unpunished. That thought, that is a big source of comfort and joy for these people. Now, it's really hard to date the Psalms, and I don't mean like go out to dinner. This is not, a, not that kind of date, even though like I've had some bad relationships that might mirror these. But you can't look at the Psalms and say, okay, one was written in this year and it goes in chronological order, so obviously these were written in blah, blah, blah time. The people of Israel didn't have an easy life. So when we read a Psalm that talks about wanting vengeance or voicing a complaint, it doesn't really help to figure out when these things were written so that we can put them in a historical context to maybe help with the difficulty. I've read that two-thirds of the Psalms, for those of y'all that do math, there's 150. So 100 of the Psalms or more have some component of imprecation, call for cursing, a prayer of vengeance, a lament, a complaint, something in all of, in over 100. One-third of them are flat out cursing Psalms, prayers for vengeance, laments, I've got a complaint, God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, wake up. So there's a lot of these. Now sometimes, as with this next psalm that we're going to talk about, we do get lucky. And the psalms will speak of a specific moment in history that we can look back and say, oh, okay, this happened at least after that part. So we know it probably happened around this time. And psalms are old, y'all. They're, they're old. So this next one we're going to talk about, I don't know if you can see, that is a, a painting of the exile after the Babylonian conquest. Okay? So Psalm 137, I mean, we don't have a pinpoint, but we know it happened after this. And this could have been any time between 598, 597, all the way to 538 BC. So a long time ago. Okay. And if you've ever felt just oppressed, or harmed, you might 
you might understand where this is coming from. And you might hear these words and they're familiar to you of a song. I don't know the whole song, but you might have heard it like, on the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down and where we wept when we remembered Zion. Right? Does that sound familiar? Carried us away to captivity, required from us a song. How can we sing our Lord's song in a strange land? No? It's a good song. 137, here we go. It doesn't get bad till the end. So, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. hard words. It's hard words to hear. It's hard words to say. It's hard words to think about. It's hard to understand that kind of disorientation, right? Their whole world was, was shook when that happened, right? The, the closest thing we have in our Christian faith in, in New Testament is the crucifixion. And, and that was big. Not saying that wasn't big. But it's kind of hard to understand that on a personal day-to-day -day level, right? Maybe not. I don't even have to say what that's a picture of, right? And everybody here that remembers that day, you know how you felt. You know how things changed. After that day, things were different. And I'm not saying that we responded with prayers of dashing babies against rocks. However, this did not bring forth psalms of praise from our mouths. So a little context helps. Sometimes the idea of a God that will enact vengeance, will act on your behalf when you have been wronged, can be comforting, right? Like I said, today is not, not an easy, fun day, but it's important. Now, imprecatory prayers, cursing prayers, prayers for vengeance, they're common, they're common in the Psalms. They're common in the scriptures all throughout. 
Old Testament, New Testament. Now, you can find them in a couple different ways. As an actual prayer, like in Psalm 94, uh, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. Okay? We can also find them as a wish. Like in Psalm 35. Where it says, let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their, dark, let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Now that's a wish for God to go do something not so nice to someone who probably has not been not so nice. We also find it as a form of an expectation. Like in Psalm 35, verse 15, their sword shall enter their own heart and their bowels shall be broken. This is expecting the enemy to fail in all kinds of extremely graphic ways, of which I picked maybe the least graphic. So this is not an uncommon thing. So I just, I don't understand why we don't talk about it more. Seems like if we don't talk about these feelings of vengeance, well, how are we supposed to feel when we feel that way? Like, what do, we, what do we do with that, right? They are human prayers. Okay, this is not where someone wrote down the prayers and songs of God. This is not, this is showing us how the people of God have envisioned God throughout history. If we were to write our own songs, which we do, we sang them today, they have our vision of God, right? So this is showing us human prayers, not divine speech. And I think that's where we get uncomfortable the most is because we try to compare them to things that we know about God or that we've learned about Jesus, and they don't, they don't mix. Well, that's okay, because we're human. They're divine. Those two things are different, right? They are a human appeal to God to do something. You need to do something. Now, we don't really think about having to provoke God or invoke God. We do, and we will here in a little bit. But on a day-to-day basis, we kind of have this idea of omnipresence, right? Like God is here, God is here, God is here, God is here, God is out there, God is everywhere, right? Well, when I was taking my intro to uh, the Hebrew Bible class, uh, Old Testament, I picked the professor who, she's awesome. Her professor, when she went to Columbia, was Walter Brueggemann, who Rachel has been quoting. So I thought, well, if I can't have him, I'm going to take her. And we were studying Psalms. And she, obviously, she's taught by what we consider to be like the foremost under, person who understands the Psalms, right? And so she has all this information and all these ideas. And we were studying a certain Psalm, and, and it was about wanting to, like, asking, how could you leave? How could you run away from God? How could you get away from God? And I asked her, you know, is omnipresence a thing? 
Like, do they understand it the same way we understand it? Because if they don't, or if they do, it makes things sound, feel a little different. And her response, I had to, I will admit, I had to um, look up some of these words. So. But I'll just read her response here. It says, uh, omnipresence, it's not really a thing in the Hebrew Bible, like as a developed doctrine. The idea that God would be everywhere all the time in some diffuse and nonspecific way would have been unthinkable in ancient Israel. People encountered God, they saw God, experienced God in very real, very powerful, and very palpable ways, but that did not lend them to make a systematic assessment of omni-availability. God had to be awakened, provoked, invoked to act, or to appear in particular ways and places. So they didn't just assume that God saw all, knew all, would act upon all without us intervening. So maybe that's why there's so many, wake up, <laughs> come and do something, God, Psalms. Now these prayers and wishes and expectations, they're just that. They are words. And I don't think I can stress this enough. It's just speech. Now I'm not saying there's no violence and vengeance and death and horrible stories in the Bible that do talk about action. There are. But these are just words. They are just speech. Okay, the speech of vengeance in the Psalms is not to be equated with acts of vengeance. There's no proof that any of this stuff, that they did any of this stuff, okay? And these difficult and uncomfortable Psalms, I like to think about it like this. They are calling, they are calling for a breakthrough of the kingdom of God. God, build your kingdom here. Now, now they didn't have, the psalmist did not have the understanding of Jesus as Messiah. We don't even know if at this point they had read Isaiah for any talk of a messianic figure. We don't know. It's hard to date the psalms. We don't know at what point they had these ideas. But we have these feelings, and we bring that to these in ancient Israel, like, eternal life, that wasn't a thing. You died, life ended, and you went to what they call Sheol, the underworld. You waited. Everybody went there. Good, bad, indifferent, horrible, it didn't matter. The really, really, really super lucky ones, they were just taken up to heaven, right? We hear the stories of that, you know, just taken up. But not everybody did that. There were no constant choirs of angels in the afterlife praising God. No streets of gold. This was, life is over and we are waiting. Just waiting. And in order for the kingdom of God to be revealed on earth, evil had to be done away with. Root and branch, all of it, gone. So these calls for God to act knock those teeth out to, in some of them, you know, rain fire down on these people. Do something. These people are evil. Do away with it. Bring your kingdom here, right? Bring on that perishing, right? Bring it on. Build your kingdom here 
Now, God, now show those people who want to act all evil, who want to do all this bad stuff, show your mighty hand. Right? But, I mean, have y'all prayed that before? Y'all ever prayed for God to, to do something, to show up, to make someone who maybe doesn't know the Lord or maybe someone who's suffering, whether it's somebody else or ourselves, you, you want God to wake up and do something, and show them how mighty he is, how good God is? Want, we're calling on God, right? God, do something. Show up. Heal these lands. Win this nation back. And I'm picking on this song. I didn't ask Justin to sing that song. He just did, and it was wonderful. It was a perfect way to show. Like, we still sing this. It just doesn't sound as awkward as Psalm 58 or 137. Now, we're not, you know, you got to understand, like, justice, order, those are important things. You do good, good things happen. Evil things are punished. This is order. This is the call for justice. We want justice restored. And so if these difficult psalms, these cursing psalms, are teaching us anything today, you and I here right now, what they could teach us is that we should be moved to anger, to calls for God to wake up and do something considering injustices in this world, okay? Now, can you all think of any, this is my call and response time. There will be more later on. Can you all think of any injustices in this world that we, oh yeah, Nancy, <laughs> um, that we are called to care about that should make us angry? Huh? Of course, right? Yeah. The list is long, right? Homelessness. Gun violence. Human trafficking, systematic racism. I could go on, right? Now, your list and your list and my list, they might look different, right? But our prayer to make that list should be the same. It's also another song. It comes from another song. It probably comes from, it has to come from somewhere else. I didn't do my homework to figure out where it came from, but... The prayer to develop your list should be, heal my heart, Lord. Open my eyes to what I don't see, right? Teach me, show me how to love this world like you've loved me. And this is the dangerous part. Break my heart for what breaks your heart. Everything everything I am for your kingdom. And even so come, Jesus. Right? That's a dangerous, scary prayer. Beautiful song. Beautiful song. But if Ben was here, you know, he'd say, don't sing the words if you don't mean them. Because those are dangerous words. And these... This whole thought of cursing, it's not just in the Old Testament, so we can't blame just the Old Testament, okay? 
Jesus curses. And don't, don't call, she hears it. She hears me saying it right now. Don't call Rachel and say, Micah said Jesus curses. It's not like cuss words, okay? He curses a fig tree. There's a whole spot in, in Luke called the woes. If there's one human on this earth that I would not want to say woe to you, it's Jesus, right? It's this whole list of things Jesus is telling them, like, you do this, woe to you. Now, that's terrifying. In 1 Thessalonians, you know, we get um, a letter talking about the suffering of the punishment of eternal destruction. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about a curse on anyone who doesn't love the Lord. And you can't talk about uncomfortable biblical passages without bringing in the book of Revelation. Holy and true, Master, how long will you wait before you pass judgment? How long before you require justice for our blood, which was shed by those who live on earth? It's not just Old Testament things. There's also, in Romans, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right? It's not ours. It's God's. But these psalms make us uncomfortable sometimes. The psalmist had these feelings. They had this, this lament. There's even psalms where they are so angry at God. Again, Daryl can think about a song for this one. Psalm 44. I don't have it up there. Oh, that's not yet. Sorry. Psalm 44. For the music director. We've heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days. In days long ago, with your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. And God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. It's nice. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a penance, gaining nothing from their sale. You've made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All of this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We'd not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with the deep darkness." 
If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Right? It's not denying that God is good, but man, God has forgotten us. Now, maybe those of us in this room don't feel like that, but I am certain that there are some brothers and sisters of ours in this world that do feel as if God has forgotten them. And it is our duty to be filled with this anger on their behalf. And also to model the fact that it is okay to have these feelings here. Okay? This is a place to have those feelings. The psalmist had these feelings. They're very, very human prayers. And they were waiting on the kingdom of God to be made known on earth. Now, we have the gift of Jesus, right? We're going to celebrate that in a few minutes. And that changes a lot. It changes the urgency and the acuteness of our need to call on God to wake up and do something and go punish those people. But we still have those feelings, those pesky little human feelings of lament, those desires for vengeance, righteous anger. We're still waiting on Christ's return, and we're still praying, let your kingdom come, God, right? I need to go back. Okay. Oh, here. Ah. Okay. Luke Powery. He's the dean of the chapel at Duke, and he's the professor of homiletics, which is a $10 word for the art of preaching and writing sermons. And he says this. Resurrections don't erase crucifixions. They don't. Now, the resurrection shows us a path to eternal life, cancels the power of sin and death, but nothing in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ told us we wouldn't suffer on this earth now. Right? When we encounter our human feelings, we have some choices we can make. We can act on them. We can be so mad. So let's say, I'm going to go get a gun, and I'm going to take care of it, right? That's not what the Psalms are teaching us to do. I could deny it. Say, oh, no, I'm not supposed to feel that way. So I don't. I don't feel that way. You feel that way? I don't feel that way. That's not going to end well either. Okay? Or we can accept it as being human. We can admit it. We can come to a safe place, a safe community with all that we are and all that we have and give those feelings over to God, which is what the Psalms are doing. 
This is going to God with the absolute ugliest of your humanity that you are ashamed of, that you are scared of, that you want to deny, but that if you don't give them up or admit them, they will eat you alive. These psalms call out injustice, they call out human suffering, and best and most wonderful of all, it affirms the worth of the wounded. Now, I'm lucky enough to have grown up in, in a home and in a church that didn't make me feel like less or less worthy when I wasn't perfect. But I know that's not everybody's experience. These Psalms teach us that just because we don't have the praise the Lord, oh my soul, and all my inmost being, praise your name every day of the week, we are still worthy of God and worthy to go to God. This place, this place here, it should be safe. Safe for you to bring your lament, your cries for vengeance, your praise, your absolute unmerited, unending praise. Absolutely. But it's also the place to bring it when you don't have those words, when all you can think of are the symbols, the cloud of dust. This place should be safe. God can take every single one of those prayers. And I have learned that when you give those feelings to God, God frees us from the power that they hold over us. Because if any of you know my story, if I had waited to come here, or to God in general, if I had waited for all my laments to be settled, and my desires for vengeance upon people who have hurt me, we wouldn't have met yet. Okay? This place. We here have these feelings. We also have this unfathomable gift of grace. Doesn't mean we don't also have the feelings and the pain and the anger. We, we are part of something bigger. We can have sadness. We can have darkness. We can have doubts. We can have questions. We can be angry with God, ourselves, other people. And God is here for every bit of it. God loves our humanness. He doesn't love us in spite of it. He just loves us. The whole of us. The all of us. 